Greetings and welcome to another episode of Two Ball Guys. My name is Dave Anderson. I'm a senior policy fellow at the Wisconsin Institute for Public Policy and Service, otherwise known as WIPS. Today, we're launching a series of Two Ball Guys episodes focusing on election reform in America. And our topic for today is why our politics industry isn't serving us and how can we fix it? Featuring a wonderful guest that we'll be introducing shortly. Hi, Dave, and thank you. Uh, my name is Eric Giordano, and I'm the executive director of WIPS. As a reminder, WIPS is a unit of the University of Wisconsin, founded in 2007 with a mission to educate and engage Wisconsin residents, develop future leaders, and help communities address identified needs. And Dave, speaking of uh, addressing identified needs, I heard you had an accident this week and ended up with a hairline fracture in your ankle. Anything that, what, what happened? Uh, I, I, I simply uh, stumbled on the stairs and ended up by actually a hairline fracture in my foot. So, uh, yeah. you know, life, life happens. Right. I was sorry to hear that. And so first, I hope you're feeling okay. And second, I was wondering if it was your left ankle or your right ankle. And I was just worried about that because I know how badly you wanted to start this new year off on the right foot. Right. What? Oh, Eric, Eric. <laughs> On the right foot? So I don't know. <laughs> hope, hope it wasn't the right angle. So anyway, it might be a little too soon for that joke, Dave, but I just had to go there. Um, and I do want you to know that despite those those types of jokes, I really do consider you a true friend. And and do you know why I can say that with confidence, Dave, that, that you are a true friend? Why is that, Eric? Or that I'm a true friend? Because a true <laughs> friend is someone who thinks that you are a good egg, even though he knows that you are slightly cracked. Yeah, yeah. Well, there, Eric- There's a double entendre there, right? Because you had a hairline uh, fracture, anyway. Well, thanks for that uh, incredibly authentic uh, concern for my well-being. You know, that reminds me of a quote from Oscar Wilde, who once said, a true friend stabs you in the front, not the back. So by that standard, uh, Eric, you're definitely a true friend. In fact, yeah. Eric, um, you're you're like my friend who lives by a cliff. You're welcome to drop over anytime, anytime. Um, and speaking of friends, I think it's time to welcome and thank our friend and fearless producer, marketing specialist, chill hot DJ, and token representative of that attractive younger generation, Luke Rudolph. Greetings, Luke. Hey guys, great to be here. You know, all this talk about for friends reminded me of a joke. Are you ready for this? What's the difference between a well-dressed man on a unicycle and a poorly dressed man on a bike? Uh-oh. A tire. A tire. <laughs> all right. Thank you. And I still, I still wonder why we ever gave Luke a microphone, but hey, there it is. So, well... <laughs> To our dear viewers who've um, been supporting and, and sustaining us, the two of you that are there, if you have a joke or pun to share or a comment about the show or a question uh, for our guest today, we, we hope we'll write that in the Facebook chat section. Or if you're watching this show later on YouTube, you can email us uh, any comments at info at whips.org. That's info at WIPPS.org. Well, Eric, it now gives me great pleasure to welcome our guest for today's show entitled Why Our Politics Industry Isn't Serving Us and How We Can Fix It. Uh, Sarah Eskrich is the Executive Director of Democracy Found and Senior Advisor to Catherine Gale. Her work focuses on building support for and implementation of electoral political innovation in Wisconsin and across the country. 
Sarah serves as a Madison Metropolitan Sewerage District Commissioner and previously served on the Madison Common Council. Her career includes roles in the public and private sectors, including at Deloitte Consulting, the University of Wisconsin Population Health Institute, Kids Forward, the Wisconsin Alliance for Women's Health, and City Council President Michael P. Ross's campaign and office in the city of Boston. Sarah is a graduate of the University of Wisconsin-Madison that holds a Master's of Public Affairs from the Robert M. LaFollette uh, School and Master's of Public Health from the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health. Welcome, Sarah. Glad to have you on the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Fantastic. Well, wh why don't we, let's, let's plunge right into this and tell us a little bit about uh, the organization you run, Democracy Found. What, what, what's the mission of the group? What are the key goals? And really, what are you trying to accomplish? Yeah, thanks for that. The Democracy Found is a Wisconsin-based initiative focused on the incentives and the structure that is not creating results in Washington, D.C. right now. So it's a fabulous group of cross-partisan leaders from all, all across the state of Wisconsin who have come together out of this, frankly, shared frustration that Washington, D.C. just isn't getting things done on the most important issues, and it's really starting to to risk our nation's competitiveness uh, internationally, to put it honestly. And so this group came together to say, why is that? And what is it that we can do about it? And to get people across the political spectrum to agree, you can't focus on politicians or specific policies um, because we have different agreement, we have different perspectives on those things, but we can agree that we need a system that works, that we need an electoral structure that holds people accountable, accountable for results in the public interest. So that's the, the challenge, the problem that Democracy Found is aiming to solve is our objective is to fix that accountability structure, which in a democracy really goes back to elections. So our focus is solely on implementing this new system that we call final five voting, which we'll get into more later, but Final five voting is all about realigning electoral incentives so that when an elected official is governing in Washington, DC, they are able, they have the freedom to vote on the compromise consensus oriented policies that the vast majority of us as citizens want them to advance in our public interest. But right now our, our electoral system can make it very hard to do because there's this problem of a partisan primary and the fact that if you vote on something that's common sense consensus oriented on either the right or the left you're probably looking over your shoulder and worried about a partisan primary in our current electoral system and a challenge to your ongoing re-election prospects so our solution is aimed at fixing that problem in particular so that there is that freedom to govern and get the, the difficult but important things done from a policy perspective that again, we all know need to get done and generally agree on, but sometimes because of the electoral incentives, we get stuck in a partisan gridlock and stalemate at the federal level that doesn't serve anyone. Yeah, we appreciate hearing that. And we're gonna delve, as you said, into the final five voting concept in a minute. I wanna, uh, and you've touched on this now, but I wanna get back to something that you're you've been talking about and introduce the fact that you work with one of Wisconsin's innovative thinkers, uh, Catherine 
Gail, who also, by the way, is, has been a, a business leader in Wisconsin for many years, and who's now, I, I don't know how to describe her, maybe a social political change agent. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, she published a book recently called The Politics Industry, How Political Innovation Can Break Partisan Gridlock and Save Our Democracy. And I wondered if you could give us a little bit, you started down that path, but give us a little bit of an overview of what do you guys mean by the politics industry in America? What, what is that? Yeah, this was one of, for me personally, and I think for so many people, a real light bulb moment was Catherine's analysis and description of this politics industry theory, as she calls it. So what is that? It, it is to focus on what virtually everyone in our country can agree on, which is that Washington, D.C. is broken. And we say it all the time, right? Washington's broken, Congress is broken. But that this idea in and of itself represents a fundamental misunderstanding of the problem. Because the truth is that Washington isn't broken. It's actually doing exactly what it's designed to do. So this confusion that we have that Washington DC is broken is because most of us have assumed that our system was designed to serve us, the public, the public interest, the voters. But in fact, most of the rules and the norms and the practices that create incentives that drive behavior in politics, as I was talking about, were actually created or optimized by and for these two private gain-seeking organizations, with, which Catherine describes as our two major political parties and their partners in this industry of the politics in this, the political industrial complex. So this idea that these two parties and their industry allies have really over time created this thriving industry around politics. And yet we as citizens have never been more dissatisfied. So it's up to us to focus on those rules, those design pieces of the system that have been designed over time for this benefit of someone other than us and take those back, redesign those so that they are serving us and, and serving the public interest as they were originally created to do, but then have been optimized to move away from that over time. So that's, that's this analysis that Catherine did of taking traditional tools that have been applied to industries in the corporate world that she came out of and applying them to politics for the first time, which creates this as I said, a light bulb moment for so many of us when we understand the systems, the root causes that drive the behaviors and that we as citizens and as legislators in states have the power to change those things. So it's a really both enlightening and empowering theory and analysis uh, that she's provided that's really started a movement. The work that we do at Democracy Found was because of the original report that Catherine wrote uh, with her co-author from Harvard Business School, Michael Porter. And um, we'll get into this again a little bit more later, but the first implementation, the first vote in favor of this com combined system of final five or in Alaska final four voting passed in Alaska because an Alaskan saw Catherine's Harvard Business School report and analysis had a similar light bulb moment and uh, stood up a referendum campaign to, to pass this new style of voting in Alaska, and it was successful in 2020. 
So there's movement, there's exciting progress happening all across the country, not just in Wisconsin on this work because of the very insightful and as you said, innovative thinkers in our, in our industry of Catherine and the work that she's done. You know, what you, what you describe almost implies that uh, democracy as envisioned by our founders is really under a, is really under a threat, uh, the way things have evolved. Um, is democracy really in danger, do you think? Uh, democracy as, as our founders envisioned it? Yeah, so our founders never envisioned political parties. In fact, our founders warned us against factions, against political parties. And yet they grew up almost with our country. Uh, right away, we saw factionalism develop and we saw our, our system split into these two parties that over time have grown into extremely warring teams where you're either on one side or the other and there's no middle ground. And I would say, Dave, to answer your question, yes, it's gotten so much worse over time, especially in the past couple decades where we've seen true optimization of that segmentation of us on the red team or the blue team such that you see in, in Pew surveys and other pieces of research, people are more concerned about you know, their child marrying someone from the opposite political party than of the opposite race or religion. But this is not what our country should, you know, this is not how democracy works when we are stuck in a cycle of putting people into camps like that. And it leads to a level of extreme dissatisfaction from the public with our government, which is also a, really significant risk to democracy, which requires a degree of participation and trust and engagement from its citizens in order for representative democracy to work. So when you have Congress with an approval rating that really never goes above 20% for the past couple decades, it makes it very hard for that voice of the people to really be seen as such. And, and you see that frustration with the public and with their, as I said, level of dissatisfaction leading to a real risk to our democratic system of government. And, and frankly, next generations being frustrated by this system and being open to alternatives. We don't wanna be in a position where in order to get results, you feel like you need an authoritarian leader. But sometimes when people aren't getting results, that's better than nothing. So I think there is a real risk and I don't want to both overplay it, but I also don't want to undersell it because it's significant and, and our democracy is, is really breaking, breaking down and political scientists over the past couple decades have said that our democracy is in decline and reported that um, in public surveys and, and we need to take that risk seriously and, do, and take it upon us as citizens to change it. Great, uh, thank you for sharing that. And you know, we've been teasing the, our two audience members for a while now about this, this idea, this innovative idea that you, Catherine, and others have been working on called, called Final Five Voting. So we really wanna dig into that a little bit. Now your organization, Democracy Found, and uh, another organization that you are sort of sisters with is partnering uh, on this Final Five Voting concept. Tell us about that idea. What is it and why is it so important? Yeah, so final five voting is at its core getting at that systemic misalignment alignment between 
the satisfaction we have with our elected officials and their ability to deliver results for us. That right now, if you are an elected official in Washington, DC, let's do a little thought experiment. And you are looking at some sort of consensus oriented piece of legislation that presents a real solution to one of our nation's biggest challenges. The questions that you have to ask yourself as a member of Congress, you might think would be, is this good policy? Is this policy gonna result in the outcomes it says it's gonna result in? Even is this policy something that my constituents care about and would support me voting for? But instead of all of those critically important questions, there's one question that really matters to elected officials right now, which is, will I make it back through my partisan primary if I vote for this? And if the answer to that question is no, which it virtually always is on the complicated stuff, all the other questions are fundamentally irrelevant because the rational incentive as an elected official is to vote no on that con consensus oriented piece of policy because you need to get reelected. So it's this election system misaligned incentive problem that final five voting attempts to solve. So final five voting is to say that problem of having to look over your shoulder at the partisan primary on your right or on your left, let's get rid of it. There's no need for us to have a Democratic column and a Republican column on our ballot in the, in the summer. Let's put all the candidates on one column and let's vote for our favorite, regardless of their party affiliation. So let's say I vote for one candidate of one party for one race, candidate of a different party for another race. Basically what a, an open top five primary is, is it just allows that single ballot to allow the top five candidates to proceed to the general election. And then in the general election, we use a process called instant runoff voting to get to the candidate that has the broadest support amongst the electorate. So those top five candidates from the primary of various partisan affiliations are on your general election ballot. And you can vote for your favorite candidate, just like always and stop there and your vote counts. But you also have the opportunity to signify who your second, your third, your fourth and your last place choice is. And what that system of ranking allows us to do is to count all the first place votes first. And if someone has a majority, that is to say over 50%, they win and the election's over. But if they don't, you go through this process of runoff instantaneously. The person who came in last is basically eliminated from the race. Anyone who voted for them has the opportunity to have their second preference counted. And that series of runoffs continues until someone gets over that threshold of 50% support. And what that does is it makes it so that in the general election, more competition of new candidates with new ideas, that ballot of five candidates, you no longer have to worry about one of those candidates being a spoiler or being a wasted vote. There are so many times when we go in, I think many of us can resonate with going in at the general election and thinking, ugh, I don't really like these choices. I don't feel great about having to choose one or the other. And if there's this other party candidate on the ballot, I can't vote for them because my vote's gonna be wasted. This system of instant runoff voting in the general election eliminates that problem and allows us to vote for the person who we feel most excited about and then rank our choices from there. But even more importantly than how we feel as, as citizens voting through final five voting, which is obviously a more empowering and healthy competitive electoral system, it changes the incentives in governing. 
So if you think back to that example of we are now in Congress under this new system of final five voting and we're presented with the same consensus oriented piece of legislation, we can now vote yes for that legislation because we don't have to worry about making it back through a partisan primary. We'll make it back through a top five open primary, no problem if we're doing a good job as an incumbent. And then in the general election, you can get a coalition of first, second, maybe even third place votes to craft that majority support to get a win. So it gives elected officials that freedom while governing to do what needs to get done to provide results for their, their citizens, for their general electorate, again. So long answer to your question of what final five voting is, but Eric, it's about realigning those incentives through the electoral system, the electoral process itself. That's what final five voting is really about. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And I have a few follow-ups, Dave, and if you have any, please chime in. But I, I just want to get a, a picture of how this works in, in, in practice, right? Or how, sure. it would, how it could work. So basically you're eliminating primaries or you're combining primaries in the general election, right? So there's one election for whoever, whatever office that people are running for. And let's just say the governor's office for, for lack of a better um, term. So then we would vote. And then what's the threshold to make it to the final five, is there? Yeah, a let me let me jump in. So there's there's two there's still two a lot there's still a primary election and oh, there's a general you. election. Right, so the the primary election is that that top five election where you vote for your favorite candidate and all the candidates. The the difference is just that there's one ballot versus the Democratic Party ballot and a Republican Party ballot. Single ballot primary. Top five candidates advance from that single ballot primary to the general election. And that's where the ranking piece comes in is in that general election. Oh, and you. the threshold in the general election is getting over 50% support. Okay. Um, Sarah, your, your explanation prompted a, a viewer question. Right. Uh, so Luke, uh, maybe you could uh, let us know what that question is. Sure. How then are these self-serving factions achieving their own goals? And what are those goals? Yeah, so it's described, this kind of question is going back to the theory. So the politics industry theory is really describing these factions on the right and on the left as a duopoly. And if you know anything about industry theory, you know that in a duopoly, one of the biggest problems is that when you're in a duopolistic market, you don't need to serve your customers because there's no threat of new competition. So in any market, the threat of new competition is what drives people to improve, to do better, to make the better product. And when you have a duopoly, you just want to segment your customers and deliver to them and, and not compete with each other because there are only two of you. You need that healthy competition of new players pushing on the innovative spheres in an industry to get to push for results. That's what healthy competition in any industry does. So the analogy to politics as an industry is that right now, those barriers to entry for new competition in politics, other than our two major parties, the barriers to entry are too high because of the way our system is designed itself. So when you have a system like we have currently of it's called plurality voting to get into the details, but a system of plurality voting means that if you had three candidates in a general election, 
You can win with less than 50% support. You can win with 66% of the electorate preferring someone else. Someone could win technically with 34% of the vote. So that in and of itself in this duopolistic market structure makes it so that no new competition wants to get in because you have no chance of winning. You have no chance of actually changing the results. And so it leads the two major parties to say, don't throw away your vote on that independent candidate. Don't throw away your vote on that third party candidate because they're just gonna spoil the election for the candidate that maybe you're okay with, but is not as exciting to you as that potential new candidate or doesn't drive the same competitive edge in innovating of our two major parties because they have no threat of new competition. So again, slightly long answer to a really good question on how, how that duopolistic nature of the industry theory analysis translates into these rules and systems of how our voting processes create these same conundrums of unhealthy competition in a, in a political industry that you would see in any other industry that didn't have healthy competition to drive innovation. No, that's, that's really helpful to hear. So I, we appreciate those answers. Um, and we have another, I think, really fascinating viewer question. Um, Luke, do you want to go ahead and ask that one? Sure. Getting elected is very expensive. How would such top five system candidates get needed funding when current parties help with funding along with current party-oriented PACs? It's a great question. So thanks to the viewer who added it. This this system does not do away with political parties. We anticipate that political parties will still exist under a system of final five voting and the endorsement of a party continues to provide all of the support that candidates currently get. But in some ways it provides even more, right, there's this, I'm gonna go into the nuance here. You guys are policy people, so here's the weeds, right? There's a whole political science argument about the power and the need for strong parties and that strong parties can be very healthy for democracy. Well, right now our parties have to basically take whoever makes it back out of the partisan primary as their candidate. They don't get to choose their candidate. They used to choose them in back rooms and in the progressive era actually in Wisconsin, we led the way in taking primaries to the people. And that system has now been a bit co-opted over time so that special interests have a huge amount of power in a primary election when less than 20% of the electorate is generally voting. So that means that whoever, again, makes it through that partisan primary, the Democrats have to embrace as their candidate, the Republicans have to uh, embrace as their candidate. Well, in this final five system, you still get a partisan affiliation after your name. And so the idea is the Democrats could say, hey, I really think that Dave is the best candidate. So we're gonna endorse him. We're gonna put our, our money, our resources, resources, our volunteer network, all of the values that political parties bring to campaigns behind the candidate that they endorse and choose. And that candidate may then have all those added benefits in the general election because of that endorsement process uh, that the parties can continue to go through. So I don't want viewers to uh, misunderstand this system as getting rid of political parties in any way, because there would still be partisan affiliation available and therefore the taking and the support there for the taking for candidates to earn. But it allows political parties to be subject to some of that competitive pressure 
that makes them adapt over time to take on the issues of the day that matter to people, because if people aren't satisfied with them, they have another option. Yeah. Wow. Oh, go ahead, Dave. Just a just a follow up. Um, I mean, doesn't this actually give rise to kind of a multi-party system? Uh, and clearly, we're we're a two-party system here in the United States right now. Um, I, I mean, I it's, it seems to me that that uh, that that this could give rise to a multi-party system, which 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 could really complicate things even even more. If I'm understanding this correctly, what's your it's, thoughts on it's that? It's possible, Dave. We don't have. You know, the, the players in any industry react to the rules of that industry and how they change over time. So it's hard in an, in an innovative world to predict how players are going to respond. But we know that what we're ha what's happening right now is, is not responsive to the needs of citizens. So we feel it's really important to put that competitive pressure, allow for that degree of healthy competition to drive results in this industry of politics, just like every other industry, and then make, you know, force players to respond accordingly to what we in the public want to see, which is results out of Washington, DC. And that could take, that could end up in multiple ways, multiple forms, and we don't want to anticipate uh, too much, but we do know that accountability should be with the public at large and should be for delivering results while governing. And right now our system is not doing that. And these rules and incentive changes are a real powerful way to shift alignment of that electoral incentive towards what we know people want, which is again, results from Washington DC and governing. Yeah, wow. I mean, we're bumping up against our, our the time we promised, you know, we try to get you off as soon as we could. Uh, but I just have to give you a chance to respond, even if you want to do so briefly to the question of, I mean, your organization is working towards this final five voting plan in Wisconsin. You mentioned that Alaska had adopted it this past election. How are we doing in Wisconsin or, or even other states, if you want to comment on that? Yeah, thanks for the question. And the reason I need to drop, drop is because we're going to have a conversation amongst Democracy Found about the bill that was introduced in our state this week, right now. So our please go to our website, www.democracyfound.org, to learn more about the legislative effort that we have underway with bipartisan support in the Wisconsin State Legislature to drive this conversation about Final Five voting forward in Wisconsin, which is done through state legislation. So much more on the bipartisan support and the bill that was just circulated this week on our website. And I would ask people to send me questions and follow up. Um, I, I welcome those very much. Wonderful. Well, man, that's a really interesting, really uh, interesting to see how this bill does and, and who's supporting it. So we look forward to, to looking into that. And thank you so much, Sarah Esrich for taking the time to, to share with us some very insight, uh, thoughtful ideas about how to improve democracy. And again, for more information about a democracy about Democracy Found, you can go to the website that she mentioned, democracyfound.org. Uh, once again, our deepest apologies to Dwayne The Rock Johnson for running out of time for his normal weekly appearance, but we'll see him again next week. Dave, good to see you. Absolutely. And uh, I, I just, uh, uh, Sarah left us, but I, I just want to echo your comments, uh, Eric, in that um, it really is a fascinating topic. And I think Sarah gave all of us a lot to, a lot to, uh, <clears throat> to think about. Um, but next week, we're excited to continue our series on reforming elections in America. 
Uh, our guest will be State Representative Gary Telkin, a Republican legislator who has a bold proposal for altering the face of presidential elections here in Wisconsin. So please join us uh, Friday, March 5th at noon for another episode of Two Ball Guys. See you next week.